It was May 23rd, 1863, when 28 groups of small churches with a total membership of 3,500 people gathered together to form what we know as the Seventh-day Adventist denomination. One year later, in 1864, one of their very successful evangelists came to them with a request. He was a convert. He was a Catholic priest originally who had converted to the Seventh-day Adventist message, and he came to a request to the newly organized church, and here was his request. He wanted to be sponsored as the first overseas missionary to Europe. Sounds like a good request, right? But here is the problem. Even though Adventists in the early beginnings of our church believed that the gospel should be spread to the entire world and that the three angels' message should go to every kindred nation, tongue, and people, they reasoned among themselves that if they stayed within America, it could be best done that way. They considered, wait a second, America is the place of immigrants. So if we focus our mission in America on the immigrants in America, eventually people here who are immigrants will reach their families locally and abroad. That was one issue. The second issue was the minister. Uh, he had a bad reputation. He didn't really work well with authority and it was said that he couldn't really handle money. And so to put it bluntly, the early church, the early Adventist church in 1844 thought the mission was too big of a risk and that the missionary was too big of a risk. 3,500 people. So what happened? that now in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, there are over 21 million people in over 200 countries. Well, someone thought it was worth the risk. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them with me to the book of Acts chapter nine. Uh, please open your Bibles or your iPads or your tablets to Acts chapter nine, because we're gonna take a look at a man who believed it was worth the risk. We're continuing our Acts series today, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. The Bible reads in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 10, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Verse 13, then Ananias, Ananias answered, Lord, NLT version says, but Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has is, he is authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. 
And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. We'll pause right there. God's word is inspiring. God's word is encouraging. God's word is comforting and it is powerful. But sometimes God's word can be dangerous. There is a risk to recognizing the voice of God as Lord. Our Bible story today describes a man who was comfortably at his home when he received a vision of Jesus Christ. And, and look at the passage, look at what it says, because as soon as Jesus calls his name, Ananias, he doesn't say, who's that? He doesn't say, where'd that come from? He simply recognizes the voice of God and he says, here I am Lord. There is a risk to recognizing the voice of God as Lord because what it does is it forces our relationship with Jesus, with God to change. See, a lot of people today want Jesus to be our friend but we don't want Jesus to be our Lord. We want Jesus to be our Savior, but we don't want Jesus to be our Lord. We want Jesus to be a cosmic counselor who we can tell all our deepest, darkest secrets to, but we don't want Jesus to be our Lord to tell us what to do. You see, there is a risk in recognizing the voice of God because it forces us as people out of the driver's seat of our life into the passenger seat. And sometimes when God is driving your life, where he takes you is somewhere you might not want to go. And at times where he takes you, it might be dangerous. Ananias is comfortably in his own home and God calls to him, Ananias. And he says, here I am, Lord. Then God goes on to explain to him what he wants him to do. Uh, Ananias, go down the street, you know, the main one called Straight, and, and go to the man's house named Judas, you, you know that one too, and go to uh, uh, his house and inquire of him of a man named Saul of Tarsus. Ask for him because Ananias, he's seen a vision, and in the vision, you are going to lay your hands on him and his blindness is going to go away. Sounds like a wonderful opportunity. But look at Ananias' request. He says, uh, Lord, good idea, nice thought, <laughs> but have you uh, considered for a moment two very important things? Uh, number one, Saul has a reputation of hurting people just like me. That's uh, the, the first Thing I want you to consider, Lord. And the second thing I want you to consider, Lord, is not only does he have a reputation that he's going to harm people like me who believe on your name, but uh, uh, Lord, the second thing is I know from good authority that he's here 
to take people like me into prison and to put me into jail. And there are some people who go into jail and they never come back. Uh, Lord, are, are, are you sure this is what you want me to do? Uh, that's, the, that's the background behind his conversation with God. See, it's not only a risk to recognize God's voice as Lord, but there is a risk to respond to God's verdicts. I was out with uh, some of the youth uh, this last Thursday uh, with Mrs. Burroughs and almost 35 other youth, and we went to Six Flags. That's a, it's, a, it's a tough life to be a youth pastor sometimes. <laughs> Have to go to Six Flags with the youth. Uh, and we were walking around in the park and some of the students were like, hey, Pastor Matt, come, come over here on this ride with me. I'm like, okay, sure. I don't, you know, I don't know much about it, but I'll come over here on the ride with you. And uh, you get into the ride and, and you, you buckle yourself in. That, that's not safe. Uh, you buckle yourself in and the kids go before me and then they lean you back and the kids went in front of me and they just took off. They went around the roller coaster ride. They came back and they're saying, oh, that's, not a, that's no problem, Pastor Matt. You'll have a great time. I was like, okay, that sounds great. You just lean back and enjoy the ride. So I sit down, I buckle myself in. Um, I lean back and I think, oh, this is going to be relaxing. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, as soon as the ride begins, you're no longer leaning back, but as soon as it begins, it flips you from on your back onto your stomach. And so you're hanging like this, kind of like this. <laughs> and the only thing that's holding you from dying to your death is this flimsy buckle that you buckled yourself. And I'm there on the roller coaster ride thinking to myself, God, I did not sign up for the biggest life insurance that I should have. Uh, and uh, I was holding on for my dear life. And I remember, I remember when I was younger, sitting next to adult men who were holding on for dear life. And I was like, what's wrong with them? What's <laughs> and now I realize, oh, it's because I'm literally risking my life uh, for fun. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, it made me think, because I've been studying this passage, uh, a lot of us, we're willing to take risks. We'll take risks for fun, but will we take risks for our faith? We'll take risks for our finances, but will we take risks for our faith? We'll take risks for our family. We'll move across the country. We'll move across the world to give them a better life. But will we take risks for our faith? I've come to learn that there are some people who have a difficult time recognizing the voice of God. They struggle with it. They don't recognize God's voice in his word. They don't recognize God's voice in prayer. They don't recognize God's word in worship. They don't get, recognize God's voice through Christian community. But for those of us here today who are in the habit of listening to God's voice, who are in the habit of worshiping God and, and, and understanding God, I've learned that one of the big, biggest obstacles for us is not that we don't recognize God's voice, but that we're not willing to take the risks that it takes to obey God's voice. 
I don't know if you've ever worked with people who are considering joining the church. One of their biggest fears, for those of us who didn't grow up uh, in the church, I did, uh, is that if they come to Jesus and they join our church, they'll be the only ones. And it's a lonely experience and it's a frightening experience. And so I've seen men and women who love Jesus, who, who believe in Jesus, who don't follow Jesus because they're scared of the risk of what it means to their family. Within the church, there are Seventh-day Adventists who understand and believe and know the Sabbath. It's not a question of recognizing God's voice, but there are those who still don't honor God's Sabbath, not because they don't believe, but because they're not willing to take the risk of what it means to honor God's Sabbath. They're scared of what it means to go into your boss and say, listen, God wants me to work six days, but one day he wants me to rest. They're scared of what it means for losing business. And so they'll, they'll believe the Sabbath, they'll, they'll believe God's word, but they won't do it because they're scared of the risks of what it takes to obey God's word. If you're anywhere underneath the age of 30, uh, I know so many people my age and, and who, who are younger who do things in their life that they don't even enjoy, that they don't even like. They go to parties, they drink, they do drugs. They don't even like that stuff. They don't even believe in that lifestyle. But the reason they do it and they don't stand up for their faith is, is because they don't want to risk what it means for their relationships. See, a lot of us, it's not a question of recognizing God's voice. It's a question of taking the risk of what it actually means to follow God's voice. You know, at the end of time, I'd like to remind you of something that I don't think I was reminded enough about, and maybe some of you were reminded too much about growing up. But at the end of time, there's only gonna be two groups of people. There are gonna be those who are saved, and there are gonna be those who are lost. That's it, there's only two groups those who follow Jesus and those who do not follow Jesus. And in the book of Revelation chapter 21, verse eight, there's this list of people who do not make it into the kingdom of heaven. Terrible list of, 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 of sinners, you would call them. Murderers, people who do witchcraft, liars, those who worship idols, those who commit a, a, a adultery and idolatry. But on the top of the list, in the last book of Revelation, of those who do not make it into the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says, are the cowardly. Are those who know what is right, but who do not do it. Not because they're not convinced God's word is true, but because they fear the voices of men rather than the voices of God. And I'm sitting here today and I'm wondering, what risk has God placed on your heart that he's asking you to do? Ananias, he recognizes the risk. But I love it because God doesn't ask us to make risks without just giving us, without giving us reasons. He doesn't say, hey, just, just take a risk, do something foolish. He gives us reasons. And the Bible tells us the reason for the risk. In verse 15, he says, Ananias, no, 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 you need to go because I've chosen Saul as my vessel to be an instrument to save the Gentiles, the kings, and all the children of Israel. 
I'm giving you a risk, Ananias, but here's the risk. The risk is for redemption. Ananias, take this risk because if you do, it will lead to the salvation of Saul and it will lead to the salvation of countless others throughout the world. And I look at our church today and I look at especially the young people. And sometimes we're convinced that to be a follower of Jesus, you have to be a rule keeper. That the only thing the church is looking for are rule keepers, for the goody two shoes, for the kids who do exactly what they're told. But the truth is God needs more people to take risks for him, to think outside of the box, to go places and do ministries that no one else is willing to do or to think about. God needs us to take risks for redemption. You look at Ananias's name in the Hebrew. It's actually the same name as one of the three Hebrew boys that were thrown into the fiery furnace. Hanani, Mishael, Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Ananias's name is Hanani. And his name means God is gracious. We ask ourselves sometimes, why should I take a risk for God? Well, isn't it true that God took a risk for you? Isn't it true that God's grace didn't come easy, but it came at great risk to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? That Jesus Christ, who was God in heaven, left the safety of heaven to come to the dangers on earth. That Jesus Christ, through his grace, took a risk for you because he took off his armor of divinity and he clothed himself with humble humanity so that you and I could have the chance of redemption. Jesus Christ took the risk for you. Are you willing to take a risk for him? We're willing to risk things for our families, for our finances, for our futures. But what it is, what is it on your heart today that God has been leading you towards? What is, what is a risk that God has put in your life that he says, listen to your sister, listen to your brother. I want you to do this for me. And he's gonna give you reasons. He's gonna give you confirmation. And listen to this Bible story because even though God will ask you to take a risk, sometimes he won't explain that risk to anyone else. Ananias was the only person in this passage who knew what God wanted him to do, him and Saul. If he went to his Christian community and said, listen guys, let's go to Saul, God's asked me to do that. Whoa, hold up there, son, hold up there. You're going too fast, that's too much of a risk. But Ananias, he listened to the reasons that God gave him, even though he was the only one. And I wonder for you, dear saints today, what risk has God put on your heart that he's been asking you to do, but you've been, you've been putting it aside because it goes against common sense? What risk has God put in your heart that said, son, I need, I need you to do this for my kingdom, for the redemption of others. We said, Lord, well, you know, there's this reason, my finances, there's, there's this reason, you know, my, my comfort. I want to encourage you that God took the risk for your redemption. Don't ignore his risk and call on your life for the redemption of others.
If you walk into uh, the campus of Andrews University, uh, you can't miss the statue in the middle of the campus. Uh, it's a statue of J.N. Andrews uh, in the middle of, of uh, Andrews University. He's there, his hand is outstretched, behind him is his son Charles, in front of him is his daughter Mary, and in 1874, he's the first official Seventh-day Adventist missionary to ever go across the Atlantic to do missionary work. The first official missionary in 1874, about 11 years after the church was formed. And as uh, Jan and Andrews, he goes across the Atlantic and he finally makes his way into Switzerland. Do you know what he finds? He finds a Seventh-day Adventist church that had already been established there for 10 years, even though he was the first official missionary ever to be sponsored by the Adventist church. How did that happen? Well, you remember that Catholic priest who had become an Adventist minister and wanted to be the first sponsored missionary? Uh, the church said, hey, look, we can't take the risk on you but he had a conviction on his heart that that was still something that God wanted him to do. And so what did he do? He found sponsorship from a different Adventist church and he got his family and he moved overseas. And for 10 years, he preached the gospel in Germany, Italy, and Switzerland and established small churches and small groups all across Europe. In fact, four years after the denomination was formed, they got word from Europe from a man who had found the Review and Herald in Michael Zukowski's office, because he had preached the gospel in Europe, but he didn't tell them that there were Adventists back in America. And so they found the Review and Herald in his office, and they sent back word to the General Conference in Michigan, or in America, and they said, we'd like to be delegates. And it's because the people, the Adventists in America, heard that there were actual Adventists in Europe, that our church's mission focus changed from being local to global overnight. Because one man, one man took a risk when no one else was willing to do it. A risk that has led to the fruit of over 20 million Adventists around the world and, and uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ to over 200 countries. What risk has God placed on your heart that you're waiting for me or the pastors or the conference or the union to decide for you to do that God has already placed on your heart? What is the risk that God has put on your heart? My appeal to you is to take that risk for redemption because it's worth the risk.